0: Yo, what is up, Golf Addicts? David here with Tour Junkies. Thanks for downloading the betting episode. So what we're doing in this show is we're bringing in a friend from across the pond named Ben Coley. Ben is a lifelong bettor and handicapper. He um, does some stuff for SportingLife.com, which is a huge site, and, uh, you know, also does a podcast himself you can check him out on twitter at ben coley golf so what we do is we kind of expand the horizons of tour junkies in this episode we go beyond dfs and we talk more traditional golf betting so whether you've been a better for a long time or you're just looking into into getting into it maybe we want to educate you a little so we start off talking about you know the betting basics and um, you know how to read the lines and what to look at the different types of games Ben talks about his approach as a as a better, and uh, and and we get into some theory and some bankroll management. It's a great conversation, and then we start talking about Oakmont. So the U.S. Open's coming up in about forty something days, and we we look ahead at Oakmont, the type of golf course that it's it's going to set up to be, the players that it may fit, and we start looking at some odds. and And we're all about the recreational better, so. Uh, we want to look at some guys with some mid to long odds and see if we can get you guys some money uh, in a more traditional route. So, thanks for downloading the show. Please check us out on Twitter if you're not already at tour underscore junkies. Also on Instagram at tour underscore junkies if you want to check us out there. Pat runs the Instagram account, so it's kind of garbage. He's uh, he's got a lot of work to do. But uh, and and obviously you know if you've not written us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate. An honest review from you guys. We take the feedback seriously, both good and bad. So uh, leave us that review on iTunes if you have not already. Thanks again for your support of the Tour Junkies podcast and enjoy the interview with Ben Coley. May your screens be green. All right, Golf Addicts,
1: David here with Tour Junkies. I got Pat on the line and we have a a special guest on the Tour Junkies podcast. We're going to do something a little different here. You know, we, we love golf. We love having a little action on, on a golf tournament. We typically uh, do that through DraftKings in the daily fantasy world. But we're bringing in an expert to talk about traditional golf betting and, um, you know, kind of educate. And so we're going to do a little Betting 101 preview. And then we're, we're going to talk a little Oakmont, too, since that's the next major coming up. And to do that, we have got uh, a, a guy by the name of Ben Coley who's going to join us Ben how are you feeling man how you doing I'm really well thanks thanks for having me on so obviously the first thing you notice about Ben is it's like a clash of two two accents here you got the two the two southerners here with me and Pat talking slow and saying funny things and then you got Ben man where are you from Ben tell us about yourself (laughs) I'm from the middle of
2: England. I live in the north of England, but I try not to sound like uh, someone from the north of England as best I can. Um, so, yeah, I'm from the middle of England. Um, I'm a, a golf betting expert, hopefully. Um, and I work for one of the, the biggest sports websites in the UK as well.
1: Really? Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. And, and I know the sporting life, and I know you have a podcast. So talk to us a little bit about the the professional career and uh, and then kind of how you got into this. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from a family of gamblers, so that's the
2: start. Um, so I've had to blame for everything. Um, I got into uh, basically, I I, I I guess you'd say flunked. I, I messed up university. I didn't really concentrate. Um, I came out a bit more interested in sport and betting and that sort of thing. Uh, but fortunately, my knowledge of things like golf and, and horse racing and a few other sports got me a, a foot in the door um, at one of the bigger companies in the UK. Um, I had a bit of a bookmaking background as well. My dad had been working for a bookmaker he worked for since I was 16 years old. So I kind of had a, a decent-looking CV, I guess, for a, for a company that likes sport and betting, and that's Sporting Life to a T. I don't know if any of your listeners are uh, familiar with our website, but if you like a bet um, or if you're interested in the, the logic behind betting and, and how that impacts on sport and, and vice versa, is a really, really good website for that, although I would say that, obviously. Um and, and that's me. So I work golf mainly, horse racing as well. I keep an eye on most sports, like I'm sure you guys do as well. Um, but really, I'm interested in golf. I mean, it's 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 the best sport in the world for betting. Um, so for me, it, it sort of gets the folks my attention every week. Well, Pat, there's
1: your answer. I know Pat was interested to know if you did any horse racing. So um, we're not gonna we're not gonna bog down the the podcast with the horse racing. But to go, Pat, you, you good with that now? It's like
2: the, is it the Kentucky
1: Derby this weekend? Is that well, right? Yeah, it's actually this coming weekend. So I was going to put you on the spot if you did happen to mention horse racing and get a couple picks. And, and you know, this this may not come out till next week. Uh, so you we'll have to look back and see how you did. But you know, we'll, let's let's throw you on the spot and then right away. Give us a couple a couple Kentucky Derby picks.
0: This is
2: really embarrassing. I don't even know what's favorite for the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I, oh, I mean, I know American <laughs> Pharaoh won it last year. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have no idea. I mean, over. I focus on UK racing. Uh, we just had one of our one of our classics here, uh, the, the two thousand guineas and the one thousand guineas. We got Royal Ascot coming up, so I'm sure you guys will have Wesley Ward representing you there again. Um, so we look forward to that. He tends to find a speed ball from somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I I don't. Is it Nike Vist that's favourite? Is that right? I, I don't yeah. even know.
1: I have another question though. I'm going to put you on the spot again because I, I love the I love the family history that you have. That just that just sounds so cool. And, you know, it's, it's a clash of, of cultures, right? Because, you know, in America, betting is, is, is all underground, right? And it's so frowned upon for the most part. So, like, I don't ever meet anybody that's like, oh, yeah, I came from a family of gamblers. and My dad worked for a, a sports book or a handicapping, you know, like, so that's just interesting to me. So, if you came from the family of, of gamblers and that's just in your blood, what's, like, one of the craziest things? that you and your dad ever bet on like, is there, do you guys just bet on anything and everything or do you really pretty much stay with sports? Do you have a funny thing that you just bet on that was nuts? Um, well, my dad's uh, he's old and wise now. So he only bets
2: on horse racing. He sticks to what he knows. Um, being a younger <laughs> man, I'm slightly less disciplined than he is. And, I, and I'll pretty much bet on anything that races, moves, jumps, swims, flies.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, we we had a, a couple of years ago. I was at the 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 classic that's just gone, the, one of the big horse races that's just gone. Uh, we go on a family trip for my dad's birthday every year, and um, my sister made me put a bet on for her, as she often does, and she had a bet that would be roughly 0.001% one percent the stake of my bet, and uh, her horse beat mine by a nose. She cheered at home like she just scored the winning goal in the World Cup final, and of course, yes. Yeah. She had absolutely no idea how much money I'd just lost on the second. And uh, so then I had to pay her out from my own wallet as well. So, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, well, so my, dad, my dad's kind of a good example for me. If I'm ever sort of thinking steady on a bit, I look at my dad because he, uh, he's very, very well-disciplined. And as I'm sure we'll come to, that's kind of the number one rule for anyone that's
1: betting. And I suppose that's probably how it differs a little to, to fancy sports.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, cool. Let's, let's get into it then, Ben. Uh, you know, definitely – want our listeners to check you out uh, on the sportinglife.com. that I've I looked around on that website and read your articles before. So it's good stuff. So if, if we have a listener who is, you know, typically in that daily fantasy world, um, and not really doing a lot on the golf betting side, but wants to, and they went to your article, like talk about just some of the basics that they need to understand some terminology, um, you know, maybe some of the differences between uh, the books where you are over in the in the UK and the in the European side and then where we are here in the States. So talk through some of the basics now. 101. Give it to us.
2: Okay, so I guess the, the key difference is that over here we bet each way as well as win only. So each way for those completely uninitiated means that you put half your money on them winning the tournament and the other half goes on a place. So it's usually top five, sometimes top six, top seven um so what that gives you obviously is a bit extra security if you've got a guy in in the lead after 54 holes um hopefully they're good for a top six or seven finish and and you can kind of have a free roll of the win um but also it kind of changes the way you look at players and let's take someone like scott stallings that would be a good example here's a guy who plays bad golf almost every week right yeah and then once every year, he, he wins <laughs> or once, you know, obviously he's had his suspension and things like that. So things haven't gone quite, quite the plan the last sort of 12 months. But when he turns up and he gets a chance to win, he generally takes it. And so when you read my articles, you, you'll often see me talking more favorably about players like Scott Stalling, who are, who are risky and frustrating because you'll follow them and you'll follow them and you'll get miscut cut after miscut. cut. But then they might land the jackpot at a big price and they would differ to someone like. And I would have said Charlie Hoffman, but after he won in Texas, I guess he comes off yeah. that list. There are those players mm-hmm. who we all know who who contend every week and they struggle to get it done. And I think in terms of the difference between betting over here and fantasy sports in particular, in fantasy sports, Charles Howe's money in the bank, right? He right. you know he's gonna finish 20th, 15th, maybe. I hardly ever bet Charles Howe because his consistency means his odds are kind of small. But he never, you know, what's he won? Twice in in 10 years, 15 years. And that will be the sort of theme you'll often often see running through my articles and anyone else in the UK, that we're looking for value in the same way that you're looking for value in fantasy sports. But our value is kind of more weighted towards players winning the tournament perversely, despite the fact we've got that backup of the six places. We really need to feel like the guy can win. And... For me, I would always value uh, a volatile player who can turn up and, and get over the line, over someone who I know is going to give me a run for my money. And the, the market sees it differently. The betting odds usually favor the guys who play well every week because it figures those guys are going to be more popular with the punters. And the gambling, really, is to try and swim against the tide, I
1: guess. And it's that sort of player that helps me do that. Tell us, kind of walk us through a little bit of like you know about your process um, from a week-to-week basis. I mean... You know, our slogan that we say is is gain your edge. And so what's kind of the, you know, the first thing you look at each week uh, when you see the odds come out and, you know, what, what are you doing to try and gain an edge on the odds makers every week?
2: So the first thing I I would value over everything else is how well the guy's playing right now. I I think that, I mean, that's there for everyone to see, but I think it's, it is the most valuable piece of information you're ever going to get. And a classic example would have been Jamie Lovemark last week who he'd been to the Zurich Classic twice and he'd he'd missed the Cup both times. But we know that Jamie has had his injury problems and uh, loss of confidence and things like that. that come with that sort of thing. But he's been playing great all season. I think he's, what, 17th in the Ryder Cup rankings now? Uh, And I think just fundamentally, guys playing well are are typically the ones who compete week in, week out. And I know Brian Stewart kind of flew in the face of that. But what I like to do is, is try and... Find a guy who's playing well, and again, I can use Lovemark as an example, and maybe something he's done has put people off, and it's made people think maybe he's gone off the boil, maybe this isn't his course, and, and that's a classic example. He's got two missed cuts at CPC at Louisiana. He missed a cut last time out, but his missed cut last time was at the Heritage, and you know, as you guys will know, if you send Jamie Lovemark to the Heritage, it's highly unlikely he's going to come back with four rounds in the 60s. Um, you know, he's gonna he's gonna find the trees, he's gonna find trouble and, and that tournament is won by players like Brandon Grace, players like Jim Turek, people like Luke Donald are the sort of staples there. So I like to yeah, kind of profile a course like Louisiana, I thought, okay, it's gonna be long and soft, it's a past seventy-two. We've seen in the past players like Sung Hill No break through there, we've seen Billy Horschel break through there. What, how do I link these guys together? And to me, linking Horschel, linking Sung Hill No. Even linking Jason Duffner, who, of course, had his first win in the Zurich, I see great talents, great ball strikers who don't putt particularly well. And I was looking for that sort of player again. So I guess the two key things for me, A, playing well. There's going to be three key things, here, in fact. Uh, a, playing well. B, maybe that's hidden a little bit by something they've done recently. So just one cut or just one bad round. And then C, just trying to profile golf courses and really get a feel for what they're going to favor. You, very rarely will you see me in a preview tip, Jim Furick and Rory McElroy. Similarly, you know, in my tips last week, I had Jamie Lovemark, but I also had Luke List. And it's that theme, you know, I thought this is going to favor guys who hit the ball long. Golf being golf, uh, Brian Stewart came and ruined the party. but yeah. I, I think there was enough evidence there, you know, with with not only not only Jamie Lovemark, but with Byung-Honan, Hits it a long way. Bobby Wyatt looks like he gets it out there, even though he's uh, he's quite a new name to, to a lot of us. Um, and all the guys in behind, jo- you know, Johnny Vegas. Look at him; he just he just hits it a mile. So um, yep. it, you have to be patient. You know, you're gonna have those times when when Brian Stewart, a name which will be mud in my house for many many years. Uh, you know, <laughs> that happens.
1: yeah. I read your article last week and saw Love Mark up there. And then I saw you tweeting. To, uh, to to bring it home, and he he freaking pars eighteen and three putts, and then leaves the birdie short, and, and I saw you melting down, man. I know that I know that hurt, and of course Brian Stewart doesn't, <laughs> yeah. fit, the, doesn't fit the profile that the guy made. You know, a, a thousand feet of putts all week, so uh, you know, it just is what it is.
2: Sometimes you but, have uh, to say, I can't really explain this, but it happened, and you know, you move on. Um, I think kind of a, recently, I've I've had a guy. The week before, I had Ricky Barnes. Um, you know, I, I think you know when you, you bet on Ricky Barnes that he's probably not going to win if um, yeah. he finished it, so that was okay. The week before, I had uh, Russell Knox, and he was just kind of lapped by uh, Brandon Grace on the final day there. So, yeah, they're going quite well at the minute, but you just, it's it's such a difficult sport if you've not got patience. And although my Twitter
1: account might suggest I'm not very patient, I, I'm getting there, I think. You know, one thing is the verbiage, right? So if you're wanting to bet, uh, in the traditional sense. Like, I remember when I first got into it, one of the more intimidating things just not not knowing what some of these words mean. You know, and I know you uh, you, you tend to reference the punter, right? And so in the U.S., yes. punters are, are guys that kick the ball on a football field, on an American football field. You know, and, and so we don't really refer to them as punters, but they're just, they're betters, guys who bet, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, you'll see, I mean, you
2: know, we, we have a, a few words that I guess would be would have a very different meaning over there that we used to describe people who gamble. I, yeah, I usually go with gamblers, punters, or bettors, but yeah
1: that's, yeah, that's it. So, so talk about, um, like let's get into how to, how to read the odds and what you're looking at and maybe the different types of ways, uh, you know, and I don't know how familiar you are with the U.S. uh, methods of, of being able to bet. I mean, primarily I look at sportsbook, dot um, AG and then Bavada as well. So talking through, you know, how to read those odds when you, when you pull it up, the different types of bets, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's a head to head, it's a first round leader bet, um, you know, or, or outright winner, you know, have you studied those different formats or do you ever mess with any of those or, or are you pretty much sticking with, you know, what, what you mentioned previously where you can bet the winner, but as long as they finish, you know, top five or seven, you you're hedged a little bit, talk, talk through some of
2: that. Yeah, I, I look at pretty much every market. I really like first round leader. I think that's a, that's a real money maker. Again, you've got to be patient because it's so volatile and it it really could be any one of the field, but some people would tell you that makes it a lottery. Well, anything that's a lottery in gambling is is a good thing for me because you can get odds, you know, there's 154 players, let's say in a field and you could get someone at 250 to one. So if it is a lottery, and um, so you're going to win 250 times your stake if, if you're yep. right. And um, so already, you know, the plain maths make that a, a pretty good deal. And um, I really like tournament match bets. So you get those in the US, I guess, where you're betting 72 whole head to head. And I think the, the best thing with those is that what the odds makers usually do is they put players who are next to each other in the outright odds in a match. And they, they're sort of flippant about it. You know, they kind of just put two guys together. They think, right, that'll do, and they'll move on. Because the guys who make the odds, don't forget, they might be doing 10, 12, over here, certainly, they might be pricing 10, 12 tournaments a week across yeah. every tour you can think of, from the Latino Tour to PGA Tour China to the web.com, et cetera, et cetera. So they've, the advantage we have as people who bet is we can just choose an event, and we can spend all our time on that. So going back to the match bets, what I like to do is let's take last week. You might have found that Jamie Lovemark was up against Russell Knox, let's say, in a in a matchup. And on that particular course, in that particular set of conditions, that's a mismatch. And you'll see those every yeah. single week. Um, Harbour Town's the best tournament of the year for that. You know, you can you can take on all the bombers there. I mean, I, I know Tony Finau played okay, but in general, you know, you the flip being Russell Knox, Jamie Lovemark again. Russell Knox finished second. Love Mark missed the cut, and that's all to do with the golf
1: course and the type of exactly. player they are. are. Are you looking more at the odds, uh, like in the matchup scenario? Do you, if you got that Love mark Knox matchup at Hilton Head, are you, do you even care what the odds are at that point, or are you just saying that is such a matchup, I, I'm just, I'm going to go for it. Usually, prior, the the odds are the absolute
2: bottom line for for anyone who who bets regularly, and um, they should be anyway. I. I know if you're not having a lot of money on, if it's a a small recreational hobby, then I understand that you don't need to be getting too hung up with, you know, saying, oh, this guy is is like 2% too short for me to have a bet. I, I don't think people who bet small should really care about that. But if you are invested in winning money over a long period of time, you've really got to have pretty strict rules. So when I'm betting outright, one of the first things I will do is cross guys off who I just think are too short. And Let, Let's take last week again, for an example, like Daniel Berger was, I think over there, you would call it plus 2,500 uh, or, or thereabouts. Is that right? Sure. Um, Possibly. So,
1: yeah. I don't remember what he was, but yeah.
2: So, I mean, for me, that's kind of about half of what he should have been. So it doesn't matter if I then, do all my research, and I think Daniel Berg is perfect for New Orleans, which he probably is, his odds are just too short. So that's always yeah. the bottom line for me. When you come to matchups, you tend to find that they just put players together who are, in their in their eyes, the odds maker's eyes, pretty well matched. So usually if I see a match like Lovemark Knox at, at Hilton Head or vice versa at, at Louisiana, the odds are pretty much similar every week. You're almost doubling your money. So um, that doesn't really have to come into it
1: when you're looking at, so on the head to head though, you know, you usually have, you know, kind of the money line or you have maybe a half point spread or something like that. Do you even look at that spread or is it always just a strictly just money line bet? Uh, in the UK, we're just straight money lines. So um,
2: we do have like handicaps. We call them handicaps over here. So that's probably an example of, of how it differs slightly. Um, so we, we have handicaps across other sports, like in, in, in football, soccer, we, we have one goal head starts and things like that. But in golf, you tend not, tends not to come into it.
1: So talk to the first round leader bets. You know, you, you mentioned that you kind of felt like those were, those were money because of the lottery system. Um, do you, like what's your, so if you're going to bet the, uh, like the upcoming event this week, um, at Quail Hollow, are, are you every week, do you bet the same amount or have the same number of bets on, the outrights as you do first round leaders and head-to-heads or how do you kind of split it up? And If you had a recreational gambler starting out, what would you recommend?
2: So ordinarily I, I will usually place all my outright bets first. I bet roughly the same amount every week. Some weeks you, you look at it and, and this week is an example. Quail hollow, I kind of struggled with a little bit, you know, cause Rory's so solid, but is he yeah. really playing his best? I don't think he is. So I don't want to bet Rory, but I'm kind of scared of him. So I've only had three bets. Usually I might have five in the in the straight outright market. So I've probably had like 50 60% of what I usually would have on. Now, I also bet first-round leader every week, probably about a quarter of what I bet outright I bet first-round leader. I don't advertise these everywhere necessarily because of the constraints around when I publish articles and things like that. Because with first-round sure. leader, I mean – You kind of need to wait for the draw. I think that's important. You need to you need to weigh up. I think the common conception is that early starters have an advantage. I think that's that's a pretty solid starting point. You know, betting the guys who have got the first go at the greens and things like that. So you you need to wait for that at least. Also, I look at things like who are they playing with. I mean, you know, are they friends? Do they do they all play quickly? I'm sure you guys are watching the Texas Open, but it seemed to me that Ricky Barnes was getting really really impatient playing alongside
1: Brendan Steele and Luke. Brendan Cole. Steele, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's slow, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, that brings into play, you know, thinking about last week with the Zurich, you know, weather and everything, you know, is that, you know, a huge factor to you going in and, and how do you weigh that sort of with your, your picks for the week? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the weather
2: forecast is always big. I mean, we all know you can't necessarily rely on it, but, There are certain weeks, I think everyone knew last week that New Orleans was going to be, was going to be carnage. Um, in the UK, we bet you can bet from the time the betting odds come out on a Monday all the way through to the last shot of the tournament. So it's always in the back of your mind in a tournament like that. Like, are they going to get 72? I think it became really clear very, very early on that they were not. So then you can in the UK, you could be betting in play during the second round. And you're looking at who's up there. Like Brian Stewart was, was one shot clear after two rounds. And then you have to weigh up, okay, do the odds reflect that we've probably only got 18 holes left here? Because if there are 36 holes left and Brian Stewart's one shot clear and you've got Jason Day on eight under at like five to behind, yes. you, you're kind of thinking Stewart's got very little chance. But if there's only 18 holes left, as we saw, he's got a really good chance. So you, things like that, you, of course, you have, to, you have to factor them in. It can be dangerous because you can you can get caught out I think anyone who was betting steward at a really short price had the forecast been wrong all of a sudden you've got a really bad bet so it, it's hard and I, I try not to get hung up on the weather but it's always I, one one example Rory this week I know people who only bet Rory when it's been raining um because long soft golf courses you know he he feasts on them um and if it's if it's sunny and it's dry and it's going to run out in fairways there are people who just won't bet him and I think that's that just shows that weather can have such a massive impact.
1: That, that's that's good stuff, Ben. Um, let's talk about bankroll management a little bit. So if you, if you were giving advice to, again, the recreational gambler uh, that, that maybe have a little more experience in DFS than the traditional sense, what, what would you say as far as bankroll management, where to spend the money, what type of bets to, to start out with? And then, like you said, some of those rules that you have to have in place what would you advise there? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing that anyone will ever tell you
2: about gambling is that you, you just have, it has to be fun, first of all, even if you are professional, even if you do it for a living, you, you've got to get the enjoyment out of it and you've got to take, you've got to minimize the risk. And I know that sounds sort of almost like an oxymoron because yeah. gambling is risk, but you need to lower that risk as much as you can and make sure that yes, you get the winner, that's exciting, it's going to pay for something, it might pay for a new car, it might just pay for a for a nice lunch, you know? But as long as that's within your budget and within your spend capabilities, that is first and foremost what you have to do. In terms of what I stake every week, I think weighting it according to the odds is really important. So you want to have more on Rory than you're going to have on Jamie Love Market, et cetera, et cetera. But what I found, and I bet a lot of outsiders, I bet guys at huge prices, like 200 times your stake if you win, etc. I, yeah. I, I want to make sure that if I get one right, because I know that you go a long time without getting one right, because it's hard, I want to make sure that I'm I'm winning more on that than I would win if I decided that this week I'm just going to bet McElroy. Because I think that's important. I think you, you could bet McElroy every week and make him your only bet. And I think generally over two or three years, you'd make a little bit of money. Like a you know, maybe 10% of your money because I think in golf the best players are slightly overpriced by the makers. But you know, I don't really think that's what most of us recreational gamblers are in it for. You know, we're not in it right. to say, spend spend X amount over three years and, and win 10% of that. We're in it so that we spend what we can afford every week and then occasionally something will come along, give us that something that we remember and pay for something good. And so for me, the key to bankroll management: a, only spend what you can afford; uh, b, prepare yourself for long runs without winning, and make sure that's factored into what you can afford. But c, make sure that if you are betting guys at bigger bigger odds,
1: make it count because they don't come along to us. Love it. That's good advice. That's that's good stuff. Well, I'm I'm good to move on. Let's talk a little bit about about Oakmont, and, and kind of what you just alluded to is what got uh, me thinking uh, and Pat thinking about you know, having you on. So funny, you know, you talked about hitting one of those long odds and then having a story and having something hit. I was watching Mm -hmm. the masters right here in our hometown of Augusta this, this uh, past few weeks ago. And, um, speed dunks it at number 12 in the water. And and I'm watching the collapse. I'm with my wife and my kids. And it wasn't until he got to about 14 fairway that I realized. And and obviously I saw that Danny Willett had moved up and, and was leading. But it wasn't until about 14th fairway that I realized I had put a bet on him um, months before. And so I look at my wife and I'm like, "I think I, I think I put a bet on willitt So I pull it up, and sure enough, like back in November, I got willitt 150 to one on sportsbook to win. And and then the week before the Masters, I had bet on him to be the high euro, and um, which I knew I had that bet going, but i had forgotten about that bet. So, but it was great. So then, of course, I'm pulling for 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 speed to continue the collapse and and will up winning and it and it got me a nice payout and it, you know it's 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 memorable and it was a lot of fun and it's like man that's great I, you know i hit one and it was awesome so isn't it amazing how your allegiance change according to who you found? oh yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and I, and i like willet but of course i mean i you know i hated to see speed fall apart but at that point i was cheered for him because i had no i had no idea that it was even within reach but as soon as that happens, of course, I'm 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 just I can't sit down. I'm in front of the TV. He's fixing on 16, and I'm like, God, he's gonna he's gonna birdie this thing out, and and will it's gonna be second, you know? But thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, so that that just got us thinking a little bit here about Oakmont too. So we've got Oakmont coming up uh, for the U.S. Open here, and I believe it's for about 45 days from now. What we'll be watching Oakmont, such a great venue, one of the toughest courses. Uh, on tour that these guys could ever play last played there in 2007 so let's talk a little bit about the course because I, I can tell in what you said that the prep half almost probably half of your preparation sounds like it's spent on the actual golf course and like understanding what type of players are successful there and what's going to show up um, so let's talk a little bit about the course and and what you see when you look at my and then we'll get into some players and some actual odds and and uh, we'll, we'll make some picks with Ben Coley. So t- talk to us about Oakmont.
2: Yeah, so I think this is the great thing about majors like the U.S. Open to move around because when you come to Augusta, it's all there in front of us, isn't it? We know who's played well there before, and I know that golf's changing a little bit, and Danny Willett wins on his second visit. Jordan Spieth wins on his second visit. I think Charles yes. Schwartz will on his second visit as well. So golf's changing a little bit there, but essentially, like, it's all in front of you with Augusta, and it's really hard to find an edge so you did it by betting six months in advance, which is probably the best way to do it with the Masters. But with the U.S. Open, because it moves venue, you know, every year, and obviously we're back to Oakmont for the first time in nine years, kind of means that all that course form, you know, so what if Angel Cabrera won here in 2007? I he, He's not going to win, right? Uh, Nicholas Fast, I think, came fourth or fifth. Well, he wouldn't win like down my local course at the moment. So (laughs) all all of that is gone and it's in the past. So it gives us the challenge of saying, right, can we work out what made those players in that time play well? And for me, looking at Oakmont, I mean, we've all read all the quotes about how hard it's going to be. I think there's one I really like from Tommy Armour, the the original Tommy Armour who won it in like 1927, who said uh, every hole was a nightmare um, that, that provided muscle tightening terror. And that gives you an indication, doesn't it? Um, Sergio Garcia called it a par 78. He said it was his favorite par 78 in the world. Um, so it's just going to be brutal, isn't it? It's going to be so hard. Yeah. It's going to be like Christmas for Mike Davis. Um, so for me, that's the first thing to factor in. We want guys who play tough golf courses, which is pretty obvious. The other thing I looked at was, with not only Angel winning here, but Ernie winning here in 1994. Both of them had been playing really, really well. Uh, Cabrera finished fifth the week before, and about three weeks before he won the U.S. Open there, he'd won back home in Argentina. Um, Ernie Els had won the Dubai Desert Classic. He finished second, I think, the week before the U.S. Open. And again, that's kind of obvious that players who are in good form tend to play well the following week. But I think it's especially important at Open because of how... Confident, you've got to be when you approach it. I think if you if you go there feeling like any part of your swing is off, you're just in trouble. You're in trouble. I think that's a really big thing. Like so, over the coming weeks, I think we're going to get a lot of good clues. I think there have been enough good clues to to say we can maybe think about having some bets now. But I think as well, anyone watching, for instance, the Memorial, where the the greens are kind of close to U.S. Open speed at, at Memorial, so that's probably a good pointer. But just the guys who start trending in the right direction because confidence is is massive. I think whenever you approach a golf course where plus five, plus six is going to win, there'll be so many guys. And I think Jeff Ogilvie said this once, like when he turned up at majors, there were half the field who were beat before they even got on the golf course because (laughs) they don't think think it's fair. They don't think they can manage. And and I think the guys who have been producing uh, improving results in the run-up are going to be a huge advantage, definitely.
1: So, Ben, you know, looking at just kind of a quick, you know, initial look at the odds, and we may be looking at different odds on our end than you are, but, you know, who are, you know, you talked about just kind of looking at some value plays. Who are some initial kind of value bets out there that you're sort of high-end in uh, at this point, you know, without knowing, obviously, you know, how the players are playing, you know, a week or two leading up to the Open?
2: Well, I, the one the that the I bet like three months ago was J.B. Holmes. Um, the closer we get, the less confident I am. I wouldn't necessarily be picking him right now because he's, I think he's outside the top 150 in three-putt avoidance and strokes game putting. And these are going to be the, you know, they are the fastest greens in the U.S. as far as I'm aware. And it's going to be really, really important to to avoid three-putts. Zach Johnson said back in 07 that it's the guy who makes all those five-footers. And I'm not sure J.B. Holmes is that guy, but... I bet him a while ago because I thought he's getting better at majors. Um, he's got that sort of progressive profile. He is a massive hitter, which I think is. I do think that's key at Oakmont. I mean, you look, we had obviously the winner um, back in 07 on Gale. We had Tiger Woods not far behind. Nicholas Fass was close. And, and it's Bubba Watson's best ever US Open by by like a long, long way. So, it, But the one I really like now, I was looking through all the stats. The, w- the one who's completely off the radar, I think, um, who has a lot in his favor is Mark Leishman. Um mm-hmm. I know he's kind of not fashionable, is he? He's not a he's not a sexy golfer. He doesn't do anything amazingly well. He just does everything pretty solid. But I'm looking at his stats. He's 22nd for strokes gained to Green. He's 26th in strokes gained putting. He's 23rd in scrambling. He's 3rd in 3 foot avoidance. He's 14th in bogey avoidance. So it, it, throughout the back, he's really good. But what I really like is his form in majors. He's one of the, the few players who is still off the radar. And yet, if we think back, he could have won two majors. You know, he could have won the Masters when he played alongside Adam Scott in the final round. And he probably should have won the Open last year um, when he, he was a couple of shots ahead with five or six to play at St. Andrews. And I really like players that know how to peak. I think what probably the greatest exponent of that at the moment, bar maybe you know the, the big three is just Justin Rose. I think he just knows exactly how to turn up and be on it when it matters most. And I think Mark Leishman's probably the best of the unknowns, if you like, at doing that, at like being prepared to go immediately uh, on day one of a major. So I think he's really interesting, and you probably get something
1: like eighty times your money for for him. Yeah, I like the I like the Leishman play. If I'm looking at it like on Bovada, he's plus sixty six hundred on Sportsbook, he You nailed it. He's eighty to one. Um, yeah. And he was a guy I had on my sheet. You know, when I look at Oakmont, I, I, the greens are killer. I mean, they are fast. They're severe undulation. I kind of look at Augusta. You, you fast greens, uh, a lot of undulation. Guys having to make five to seven foot par putt all day long. Um, you know, so it's almost, it's very speed like as far as, as far as what kind of game you're looking at. I don't want to bet speed because the odds are too short, but it, it seems like that would be a good corollary course to me. Um, I think proximity is going to be key at Oakmont. Being able to, being able to get it on the right part of the green and on the right level of those greens are going to be important. You know, to me, looking at the distance factor, I was looking at that as well. Um, you know, I feel like I feel like a total driving stat is going to be something to look at as well. I mean, you did have Cabrera and Bubba bombers here, you know, um, hitting hitting the ball a long way. But you also have some, you know, some his, historical proof that guys who can kind of do a little bit of both. And I think that's where Leishman probably fits. I mean, he's not one of these huge bombers, but he gets it out there long enough. Um, so it's it. Oklahoma's going to be tough. And I think number one is. Is the mental toughness that you mentioned? I mean, the the Ogilvy quote about half a field being beat before they before they start is key, and then just the, the mental toughness of having to make five and seven foot plus all day for par is going to be is going to be important. So, yeah, I agree. I think Augusta
2: is a really good starting point for for correlatory form. Definitely. I mean, obviously, Angel went on to win to win and could have won it twice. Um, and although Ernie recently has kind of been foxed by Augusta, never more so than, the, than that infamous, what, seven, eight, nine putt? I, I lost count. Um, you know, basically he used to play Augusta well and he obviously played alongside Phil when when Phil won it for the first time in the final round. So I think that's a really good starting point um, because simply the speed of the greens because they will catch a lot of players out. And I wonder what you guys think of, of Phil because he's kind of on my radar a little bit. And the reason why... He missed the cut here in 07, but what a lot of people will forget, and this is an example, I guess, of explaining bad form or what appears to be bad form, is he, he arrived at Oakmont that year with a pretty bad wrist injury. And he said if you go through his sort of press conferences, he was not talking about winning the US Open. And that's that's not very And um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Obviously, he's kind of cooled off a little bit lately. He missed the cut at Augusta. He missed the cut at, at uh, the Valero. But if he shows a little something um, over the coming weeks, he'd be really interesting because I like the idea that he might arrive at Oakmont for once without that sort of pressure on, are you going to win your US Open? Because obviously we've got Pebble coming up and anytime he goes to Pebble, people are, are going to be talking about him. And I just think this is the one where there's so much else going on. There's going to be so much talk about Jordan and whether he's mentally recovered from what happened at Augusta that Phil could kind of sneak in off the radar. And yet, when you think about what works here, you know, hitting the ball high is, is definitely an asset when you've got greens this fast. As I said, I think hitting it longs probably a decent advantage. And more than that, just having that creativity around the greens. And I kind of think, I, I could be completely wrong here, but I kind of think of all the recent U.S. Opens, that Marion might be a, a decent guide and you know, if it won for a, a brilliant performance from Justin Rose, then then Phil might have won that. So I think he's he's kind of interesting, and obviously uh, we'd love to see him win.
1: Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think um, I think this week with Wells Fargo is going to be a um, kind of could be telling for Phil. I mean, I think you're right with with him missing the cut at Augusta. Um, you know, he is going to kind of come in a little bit under the radar. So I'm interested to see how he plays this week. But um, you know, if he's looking to you know in decent form going into the, to the open. I think he, you know, could have a really good shot. And I do think not just from a betting standpoint, but actually with, with us and what we talk about on a fantasy level, I think he could come in under the radar uh, on fantasy as well. I I don't know what your thoughts are, David, but that's, he is, he has get kind of been on my radar not only this week but definitely for the U.S. Open. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what is um uh, like Ben. Do you know what his odds are over there uh, in in uh, on your side of the pond in in your books? Because I wonder if he's consistently uh, if his odds are consistently shorter over here than they are over there because of America's Phil Nicholson obsession. Um, but I look right now and like on Bovada, he's thirty three. He's plus thirty three hundred. Which is really ridiculous that actually Bavada has Tiger Woods at plus thirty three hundred as well, um, but uh, yeah, uh, and he's and he's thirty five to one on Sportsbook, right on right behind Hideki Matsuyama and just ahead of Brendan Grace. So it is kind of a weird spot to see him. Uh, where where is he on your books, Ben? Yeah,
2: very similar. He's he, forty is the best you can get. Um, okay. He, he ranges though. He's one of those players that. Opinion's kind of divided. He's as short as sort of 22, 25, um, but almost double that with some. Um, and you see that with the older players usually over here that some are pretty keen to write them off for, or at least, you know, put them second in the queue behind some of the younger players. Interesting. You know, he, he, he's a bigger price than Danny Willett. And I, I love Danny Willett, but am I convinced that he's now, after Augusta... Quite at that level where we can talk about him as a as a huge player. I, I guess he deserves to be and he's, he's bordering top 10 in the world, isn't he? A bit like Brandon Grace, I suppose, but would I rather be on Phil at the same price? Absolutely. And I guess that comes back to what we were talking about at the, at the top where there are players who you're probably going to get more consistency from and, and Danny Willett and Brandon Grace would, would count among those. But with Phil at 40, he's the sort where I'd ignore betting like a place or the top 10 or any of those things and just go straight for the win. And if he's on, he has a chance on Sunday. If he's not then then fine. But at forty, I know it's a long time. It's you know, three years now since he won, but you still feel like if he gets a chance on Sunday, I still feel like Phil Mickelson can take that chance even in the US Open.
1: Totally. All right. So let me let me let's do some rapid fire here. Um I, I want to talk some longer odds here and, and 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 more in that in that vein of that Danny Willett bet that I hit. And I'm going to rattle off a few names and you tell me, you know, which ones you like. And if there's any that you absolutely just hate, just tell me. And we'll just assume that form stays about the same. Okay. okay. Uh, so we've got, um, I've got on Bovada, I got Charlie Hoffman at plus 15,000, um, which I like that. Uh, I've got Chris Kirk and Billy Horschel at plus 12, 5, um, which I, I like that as well. I've got Duffner at plus 9,000. Those are a few that jumped out at me. Leishman right above that at plus 6,600, which we've already touched on. So any of those that, that kind of that jump out at you? I,
2: I've got so much respect for Billy Horschel. I think, you know, it, it, it's kind of forgotten what he did two years ago. Um, and of the ones you mentioned there, I think he would be my my preferred because I think he's got that, that little... I guess we'd call it over here the X factor that the others maybe haven't got. I don't know how much Chris Kirk believes in himself. I know some of the people who know him a lot better than I do um, say he's pretty tenacious under the surface, but outwardly he seems to lack a little confidence. Charlie Hoffman. I mean, Charlie Hoffman's a classic, like the way he's playing now, his odds are too big because he's playing just about as well as anyone in the U S right. I don't yep. see that there are many players week in, week out playing like Charlie Hoffman is playing. So, right. Can I believe that now in his, what, mid to late 30s, that he's all of a sudden the world-class player? I'm not convinced, but I think he's good value. And like I said, that's what it all comes down to. Right? If you're getting a price that's too big, then who cares if he doesn't win this time? You're doing the right thing, and eventually you get rewarded for it. What about
1: some some guys over there uh, in the UK and, and the European players, some of the lesser-known guys over here in the U.S.? So. When I look at the sheet, I'm looking at, like, uh, George Coetzee. I'm looking at um, Juice Luton. You've got uh, Olison in the field, Ross Fisher, Mark Warren, uh, Eddie Pepperell, some of these longer guys. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, Andy Sullivan, Tommy Fleetwood. I don't, I don't think he's any, any good. Uh, any, any of those guys jump out at you that you might know a little bit more about than we do?
2: There are some really talented players there that have have lost their way a little bit. It's going to be interesting what happens over the next few months in Europe because we've seen a sort of breakout of good young players. Danny Willett obviously leading the way, but you've got, I mean, Matt Fitzpatrick is a guy who who I'm sure, you know, America knows all about him. Um, But he's a superstar in the making. It'll be fascinating to see how he goes because he's kind of just struggled in the main this year to to live up to what he did last year when he won one of the biggest events over here. But obviously, his final round at the Masters was uh, was pretty sensational and I think reminded people what he can do. In terms of who's playing really well week in, week out in Europe, who might translate that, the, the guy who's playing really well on a consistent basis at the moment is Jus Louten, uh, the Dutch player. He is desperate to get in that Ryder Cup side. He probably should have made it two years ago and, and just missed out as his form sort of tailed off a little bit. But if we go back a couple of years, I think it was Kiowa Island where he played really well for a couple of rounds, and he looked like he might be ready to step up. Um, Because you look at his game, it it doesn't have any real weaknesses. At least it didn't until the last sort of eighteen months where he started having a few problems with his chipping. But he's really, really talented, and he's really solid, and he's got that sort of that all-round. Game, a bit like a leashman that lends itself to a tough golf course like Oakmont. So he's probably one to watch. I think we're waiting over here for some of the continental players to really step up and, and, and go through with it, if you like. Bernd Wiesberger, we all remember when he was in the final round at yeah. the final football with, with Rory at the PGA. He He's won a couple of really good events. He won the, the Open de France over here mm-hmm. last year. and. You feel like he's got everything to go and do that, but it's just something stopping him. It's, it's probably in technical terms the proper but also that belief. And we tend to find—I tend to find anyway—a lot of our guys go over to America and they really struggle. They just—they struggle with living out of a, a hotel week in, week out, with not having their family and friends. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Danny Willett does because he's a—he's from the north of England, from a, a city in the north, which is a pretty small city in, in, in wider terms and can he go over to America and really establish himself or will he always have that thing where he's held back because he wants to be in the UK or he wants to be with his friends and family. So I think it's difficult and that's why I'm impressed with Willis, why I'm impressed with Brandon Grace and anyone else who goes over there and does it. If you're asking mm-hmm. me for a player to watch out for from Europe it, it's probably Reedsberger of the ones you mentioned, but hand on heart, I don't know as we've got a great chance of winning the U S open outside maybe Rose and willing. Um, I really like Justin Rose, uh, for the U S open, but outside of that, I, I think we're probably looking at maybe an Australian, but maybe an American winner.
1: That's good stuff, Ben. We'll have to come back to you for the open and you can give us a little more, a little more insight on uh, Turnberry this year, right? Is that it? Uh, uh, we're at Royal prune this year. Royal well, true. That's right. That's right. Well, that'd be good. Good stuff. Hey, Ben, we really appreciate it. And, um, Thanks for being on the Tour Junkies podcast. You guys can find Ben on Twitter. It's a good follow at Ben Coley Golf. And, uh, you know, check out the, the article on sportinglife.com. It's, you know, and this week, you know, this this podcast will probably be aired after the fact. But this week, Ben touting uh, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, and Jason Kokrak in the article as far as good bets for Quell Hollow. So we'll see how we'll see how those pan out. If, if they pan out terrible, Ben, I'll just edit it. Okay great thank you thanks for being on Ben we appreciate it have a good one thanks guys speak to you again soon what will you discover in Asheville North Carolina your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails your creative streak as you stroll the river arts district in Asheville the answers can surprise you don't miss Summer of Glass now through September featuring Cihuly at Biltmore and a community wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours Visit ExploreAsheville.com to plan your stay. Asheville. Discovery inside and out.